welcome to the month of February as far as worship. As we think about this uh, month for our life, our church, I want to mention two things and then pray for us. Two particular emphasis. On the 13th of February, we're having our annual wild game banquet for the men of our church. I'm, I guess women could come, but it's just men usually. And so it's a, it's a great community outreach effort. Uh, that's on the 13th. And then the 22nd to the 24th is our World Missions Conference here Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It is one of the highlights of our church. And uh, if, unless you are uh, way, way, way out of town, uh, you need to be here for the Missions Conference, the 22nd to the 24th, as we celebrate the good news of God around the world. So, Let's uh, pray for these things. Now, the, oh, this is not working, is it, or is it? Do you have my things? Try it. Oh, okay, well, that's not one. Okay. So we'll go there in a second. Good. Thanks for getting that up. We'll get there in a second. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you for a new month. Thank you for your faithfulness unto us. And I ask, Lord, that by your mercy and by the power of your holy arm, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you would speak the gospel strongly at our wild game banquet, that you would bring in men who do not know you to hear the good news of Christ, and you would open hearts to receive the gospel. Lord, we pray and ask that you would make us a welcoming church to men and women who will be here for our missions conference, that you would empower those who speak, especially Zane Pratt, that, that it would be a glorious weekend when we once again think through and rejoice in and embrace the great commission that you gave us, resurrected Christ. So we bless your name. We pray now you take the word of God and make it applicable and open unto us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a couple weeks ago I read this article. There was a 88-year-old man who died, and from the church on the way to the cemetery, part of the funeral procession went through the drive through window at Burger King in their Pennsylvania town. Uh, there were about 12 cars. They ordered 40 Whoppers, and they took the Whopper, and they put a Whopper on the casket of this man who had died and the manager of Burger King said it is very gratifying to have a customer who's faithful to the end <laughs> the very end um, I, I read that and on one hand it is humorous in a sad sad way on the other hand it's just tragic uh, this man went to Burger King almost every day and got a Whopper and a cup of coffee and his request was that when he died I want you to go through the drive-thru and get a Burger King for me and those who, in my family, who are observing my death. If the only thing we have at the end of our days to say that we're significant is a whopper, we are to be pitied. Pitied. And that's why this understanding of the stewardship of life is incredibly important. We live as called people. We live, hopefully, we live with love. We live with the end in view. That's who we are. 
we live with purpose and we live with dignity. The men on Friday morning were studying a book called Ecclesiastes, and the writer of Ecclesiastes starts off by saying, everything is vanity. Everything is smoke and mirrors. Everything is a mirage. And, and we stand up and we say with resolute passion, that's a lie. That is a lie. Paul was facing the same type of mindset in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talked about the, the, the bodily resurrection of Jesus out of the grave. And he said, if Christ be not risen, we are to be pitied. But if, if he has been risen, then we have dignity. And he says, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is never in vain. It's never in vain. We should have little phrases on a refrigerator. Never in vain. Or this book, 1 Peter, that we've been looking through. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Since then you have purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren out of obedience to the truth. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the word of God. Imperishable seed. Imperishable. Fixed, real, true through the word of God. We have significance. Don't believe the lie that everything is meaningless. Don't believe the lie that, that a man, at the end of the man's day, his, his life consists of something as peril and silly as a whopper through the drive through window at a, at a restaurant. C.S. Lewis says, the load or the weight or burden of my neighbor's glory, a little book called The, the Weight of Glory, he says, the, the, the load, the weight, the burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. The, the weight of glory. Don't believe the lie. In Romans 13, the Apostle Paul says this, verse 11. He says, says you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires. He says, listen, it's time to wake up. The day is at hand. Your salvation is nearer now than when you believed. Therefore, be startled wide awake. Live with diligence. Live with a sense of calling as unto the Lord. We are his people. That's the stewardship of life. We are called of God. We live before him. And so I'm going to give you four principles today as we look at this text. And next week I'm going to make application. And then we're going to go on to 1 Peter 5. But, but, but we're the last part of the 1 Peter. But listen, 
Principle number one is this, and one and two are really a, a lot alike, but number one, we live for the glory of God. Verse 11 says, you know, if you speak, speak as it were the oracles of God. If you strength uh, serve, do so by the strength that God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God gets the glory. God gets the worship. God gets the praise. We live as unto him. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul gives an incredible statement about our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But, but, he, but he couches that in the arguments regarding relationships in the body of Christ. And they, they were in a mess. He says there, there is something going on in the church at Corinth that, that wild, uproarious pagans don't even whisper behind closed doors. They don't tolerate. He says, there is a man in your assembly who is living with his mother in sexual impurity. His, his stepmother, his father's wife, we think. He says, and you're, you're non-pulse by it. He said, you ought to be ashamed. You ought to be ashamed. You're God's people, man. And then he changes gears. He says, you know, while I'm at it, there are people in the church taking one another to court before pagan judges. He says, you have people in the church who could make a snap judgment on this at any second. Why are you putting your dirty laundry before the world? He says, clean it up. And then he gives this principle, this, this summation statement, if you will. He says, he says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God or glorify God with your body. You live to the glory of God. You were bought with a price. You're to honor God. Live as called out people. Number two, good stewards, live for that which is bigger and more enthralling the my little kingdom is called the kingdom of god i love the heidelberg catechism the heidelberg catechism questions ask what do we mean when we pray thy kingdom come thy will be done and the divines answer it this way number one we pray that we'd submit ourselves more and more unto your word number two we pray that your church would be preserved and increased by the power of the holy spirit number three we we, we pray that we would Cast down any vain imaginations or anything that contradicts your word until Christ is all in all. Thy kingdom come. Lord, let me be part of something that is glorious and more weighty and wonderful than my little sphere. It's called the kingdom of God. My life counts. Or the Westminster Confession of Faith says, well, what does it mean to say thy kingdom come? He says that we would be emboldened to plead with him that he would extend his kingdom in us and around us and quietly to rely upon him that he would fulfill our request. Quietly, we trust him. Let me ask you this. Are we emboldened to pray, thy kingdom come? 
Are we emboldened to say, God, do something in me, around me, in my circles that, that, that speaks of the glory of Christ? Do something, Lord, that, 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 that only you can do and only you get the credit and can be explained only by your presence in my life. Emboldened. Passionate. Because we've been called of God. You know, I was out the other day and saw someone and they said to me, they don't go to church here, okay? They said to me, when are you going to retire? Now, when you start asking me that, I'll, I'll be a little concerned. And I, I kind of took me by surprise. I was just checking out a book at the library, and I was not looking for meaningful conversation. And I go, uh, oh, blah, blah. Here, here's the answer, never. Now, before you pass out, <laughs> that doesn't mean I'll be pastor here. I'm never, I don't want to ever retire. I think the believers should say, Lord, what's next? What about today? embolden me to pray in an emboldened fashion. Lord, may, may your kingdom come. R.C. Sproul said this, the big idea of the Christian life is coram deo, which means to live before the, the face of God. Coram deo captures the essence of the Christian life, to live one's life in the presence of God under the authority of God, to the glory of God, by the power of God. That's who we are. We are called out people. Emboldened to pray thy kingdom come. We live one's, our life in the presence of God, and under the authority of God, to the glory of God. But, but then, you start thinking, then you hear voices, you hear these voices... And these voices say things like, you're not worthy. You should, you should be filled with shame. Don't you feel dirty and guilty? You are a failure. <clears throat> and that's just this week. And then you say, there is a Redeemer his name is Jesus. He shed his blood for my sin. He has clothed me in the robes of righteousness by the work of Christ. I am his. See, the question is, which voice do I listen to? The voice of accusation and shame? The voice that says, you can't make a difference? Or the voice that says, you are mine. I have claimed you. I love you. I've embraced you. I've stripped you of your rags and clothed you in the royal robes of righteousness. I vote for B. Which, which voice do you listen to? See, that, that's why in, in, this, in this book, I mean, this first Peter, you always, there's, you always start with the gospel of grace. You always begin with God's mercy. 1 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, <clears throat> called out, called out. And then he looks at 
you look at chapter 2, verse 9, which is just so good. It says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that's the voice you listen to. And you live with dignity and responsibly unto God. Some of us were not athletic growing up. And so you go to the playground and play kickball or baseball or softball or some sport and you'd line everybody up and the two biggest kids were the team captains and then they say you choose first and they say, oh I, I you flip a coin I, I, I choose I choose and, and at, at the very end of the line is is this little guy who has not grown much who may have some type of physical issue he says well I guess I'll take I guess I'll take John I guess I'll take you know Susan I, I guess I guess I'm stuck with him or some of you went to schools where they played Jeopardy. You choose first. Oh, I choose him. At the, end of the, at the end of the choosing stood one guy who couldn't spell cat. Who failed everything. Well, I guess I'm stuck with him. You know that thing? Oh, good grief. He can't help us. Listen to God's choosing on the parade on the on the playground listen this is deuteronomy 7 verse 7 it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples but it was because jehovah loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, I don't understand all the nuances of God's election of his people, but I rejoice in it. He says here, you know, God, God didn't choose the Jews as his covenant people because they were the most numerous or because they were the most mighty. He chose them because he set his affection upon them. And, at, and as we, as the people of God, walking in the fulfillment of the promises given in the Old Testament, why, why has God said to you, you are a chosen people? A royal priesthood. A whole, you say, why, why God? There's nothing in you. You were the last of the line in kickball, and God chose, and he chose you first. You couldn't run. You couldn't even hit the ball with your left or your right foot. And God says, I want him. And we live to his glory. We live we lived responsibly. Great theology here. A guy named John Murray. John Murray, in this volume two of his four-volume work, says this. He says, basically, not only did God save us and declare us righteous in his sight, not, not only 
did God give us the Holy Spirit to make us holy? He said, he's done that. Blessed be his name. He says this, but, but it is the act of adoption that God becomes to the redeemed a father in the highest sense, that divine fatherhood can belong to creatures, or rather can be predicated of creatures. It is the spirit of adoption who produces the highest confidence that is given to men to exercise in relation to God. The people of God thereby recognize not only Christ as their Redeemer and Savior, not only is He their high priest and advocate at God's right hand, not only is the Holy Spirit given unto them, but also they are instated in the family of God into the holiest in the assurance that he, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, will own them and bless them as his own children. No reproach to God partakes of comparable intimacy, confidence, and love with that of the simple yet unspeakably eloquent Abba, Father. See, not only are we saved declared righteous in the sight of God by the work of Christ upon the cross. Not only has God the Holy Spirit been poured into our lives, but we, brothers and sisters, are adopted into the family of God. And we cry out by the Holy Spirit, Dear Father, Abba, Father, don't listen to the voice of accusation. Run to the cross to hear the voice of love. That's, that's who we are. We live for that which is bigger than us. And the third thing in this passage is that, is that we've been called to community. You know, he says, above all, above all, love each other earnestly because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all, love each other because love overlooks idiosyncrasies and certain weirdness, and it's everywhere around you. Just look. It's there. Because love covers a multitude of sins. There's a quote in the bulletin from a guy named Tripp. He says that it was later in my life that I fully understood that growth in Christ was a community project. Well, that's true. I need the body of Christ. I need brothers and sisters in my life who just care for me, who pray for me, who walk with me, who encourage me. You need the body of Christ. I'm going to say this next week, but I'll just mention it. You show me people who have isolated themselves and they're not involved in fellowship and they are on their way to a fall. You study the history of the church. When people pull aside and say, I've got the final truth and no one else does, they always end up burning out and destroying their lives. Always. You show me people who love the people of God and they, they intentionally seek out fellowship and they sit under the authority of the Word of God and they say, God, change me by your Spirit as I am with these people. And I'll show you people that have health in their soul. Don't be isolated. Don't listen to the voice of rejection and shame and put, push people away because you're not worthy. None of us are worthy. Again, Lewis, in the same quote, in the same little book, it's, boy, it's dynamite. He says this, is, all day long, we are in some degree helping 
each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. He says either we help people to consider the things of Christ and walk on the road, or, or we don't. He says, but we, we never deal with mere ordinary people. Everybody's significant. That's who we are. Fourthly, we live with the end in view. Verse 7 starts, just, just says, the end of all things is at hand. You live in the age of the Messiah King Jesus. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sober judgment and a sound mind so that you can pray. So that, so that you can think rightly. So that you can worship correctly. So that you can live all of your life under the Lordship of Christ. I, it's, just, it's just an amazing concept. We live with the understanding that eternity awaits. We live with the end in view. We say life has huge ramifications. So, so, so I live with the end of view so, so that, so, 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 so I can be self-controlled and sober-minded in order to think correctly or to pray aright or to worship aright. We, we live with the end in view. Therefore, life has dignity, and I am a responsible person to live it out before God and my contemporaries in the world to represent Christ, to share Christ. I just read the article. I didn't read any follow-ups, but uh, I, I don't know music that well. I mean, I like music, but I don't really know who's good. And I asked some people recently, who, who, who's a modern-day singer that just is incredibly gifted no matter what genre you may like and and several of them mentioned Beyonce so I have to take there she's very lovely and she's got a great voice she sang at President Obama's inauguration and then there was kind of a scandal that she lip-synced now my, my question is why would Beyonce ever lip-sync she's got it now if you asked me to sing the national anthem, I would lip sync. <laughs> Remember Mama Mia? That wonderful musical of four years ago? Remember Pierce Brosnan? James Bond singing? It was it sounded like two cats fighting in the alley. I mean, he should have lip synced. <laughs> he doesn't have it in that area. Why, 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 why does Beyonce lip sync? I don't, I don't know. Maybe she had a cold. Maybe the PA was out. I don't, I don't know. But as I thought about it, I thought, Lord, don't let us lip sync our giftedness. Don't let us cruise or, or float. Let us live soberly with the end in view. Let, let us live with dignity. Don't let us buy into the lie that you hit a point where you do nothing but play bridge or play golf. Don't let us buy the lie that we're too young to make a difference. We've got to be 40 or 40. Don't buy that lie. You have dignity as a child of God. This was a horrible story. Brazil last week, horrible story. 
I think the death toll is up to 235. Bunch of mostly students, college students, celebrating the beginning of a new semester at this bar, 2 o'clock in the morning. The band was playing. They did this pyrotechnic thing, and the bar caught on fire. There was one exit. 235 died, or to point, 90% died of asphyxiation. So when you went to claim the body of your loved one, it just looked like they were asleep. And an eyewitness was quoted as saying that when it all happened, that there was a huge fire extinguisher on the stage, and a band member, he said, or a guard, pulled the fire extinguisher, pulled the pin, and sprayed, and would easily put out the fire. But it didn't, didn't work. The fire extinguisher did not work. And I thought, oh, man. Don't let me live that way. Not prepared. Not prepared. Live with the end in view. Now, Today, in fact, this this is a little warm in here. I need to, I need to, I need to blot my face here. Okay, uh, let me. Sorry, Angelo. I put it up here. All joking aside, there's a game today. It's called the Super Bowl. And you're going to hear some well-meaning people, most of them women, say, it's only a game. <laughs> Let me say, biblically speaking, with theological insight, that's a lie. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, if you're calling... If you're a believer and you're an equipment manager for the 49ers, you live to the glory of God. It's not just a game. It's your calling. If you're an athlete and you claim the name of Jesus and you're on the Ravens or the Niners, you play to the glory of God. Your calling is your calling from God. You might as well say, it's just an audit. It's just a transmission is just a surgery. You see what I'm saying? So people say, oh, it's just a game. Oh, time out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, when anything, anything, even, I, I love our missions conference, but if you're a missionary and your primary identification is I'm, a, I'm reaching an unreached people group and it's not being, being identified and in allegiance to Jesus, you're in sin. So, so whatever our calling is, it can easily become our idol. So that's why we always go with the first and second commandment, and we live there. Football, auto mechanics, your business, your family, your marriage can become an idol, but you live unto God. And it gives dignity to being a statistician. It gives dignity to being a mechanic. It gives dignity to raising children. Do you know, see what I'm saying? Your calling is significant. Don't ever say it's just a ball game. It's just an audit. It's, it's just a novel I'm writing. 
It's just a chemistry test I'm taking. No, you live to the glory of God. That gives everything in life significance. I mean, there are no little people. There are no little places. There's no little calling. Do you get that? You represent Jesus where you are. You live to the glory of God. You spend your time and your energy and your money as a called out person. And you live with joy. You know, you're standing in the line to play kickball and Jesus chooses you first and you've got polio. Wow. Wow. Of course, if Jesus chooses you, you throw down the crutches and you start walking like everybody else. That's cool too. Live to the glory of God. Okay, let's, let's pray. Okay. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that in your absolute mercy, you have loved us when we were unlovable. And we pray, Lord, even now as we think about people in our family systems, our neighbors, our co-workers, and our friends who do not know you, that God use our lives and, and use the words we speak about Jesus to show them there's dignity and hope and there's an eternity. Lord, let us live with the end in view. Forgive, forgive us, Lord, all of us, all of us who know you. We confess that our, our hearts are idol-making factories, whether it's the way we love our kids or love our spouse or do our job. It's so easy to let the glory of Christ be eclipsed by the press of the moment. But I, I really pray that we would, we would live, whatever you're calling in our whatever it is, we would live unto you and, and with a sense of glory, to, to glorify you, Lord. Whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, it be to the glory of God. Thank you that all of life is an act of worship. Thank you that you've called us to be worshipers. We want to do that. I pray you'd make us people who are emboldened to pray and to ask for things that would only happen if your fingerprints are all over it. And uh, we thank you, Lord. So we bless your name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this day, and pray you'd guide us and lead us in Jesus' name.